You know, if you ask any parent what phase of parenting worries them the most, almost a resounding chorus would come out and say, the teenage years. Now, I think the reason why this is, is because parents are very apprehensive about this time of the year, or this time of their life, is because they remember what they were like when they were kids. And they think about some of the things that they did when they were teenagers, and they're like, oh no! If they're going to do that, you know, I'm in a load of trouble. I mean, I have never prayed more fervently uh, since our daughter Jordan was born that Jesus would return before she's 13, you know? Because I'm not ready for the teenage years. When my study this week, I was reminiscing about my own teenage kind of life, and I thought about doing a top ten list of the dumbest, dangerous things that I ever did as a teenager. But I was a little fearful of doing this because some of our students might actually take these and then create torture for parents. So uh, I went against that. But I will tell you today one teenage experience in my life and the challenge of what it looks like to be a teen and to raise a teen. I was 14 years old when this episode occurred. Now, I want you to know I was a good kid. I mean, you just ask my mom. She'll tell you. I was a really, really good kid. Now, my older brother, Tim, he was a handful. But I was a really, really good kid. So I went to a couple of my friends' house, uh, Mitch and Matt, and we were going to spend the night uh, playing Monopoly. And their uh, cousin, Chris, came over too. His name uh, we gave to him was Primo, which in Spanish means cousin. And we called each other the Four Musketeers. We grew up uh, from about birth all the way till uh, 15 when I moved to Anderson. And uh, as the Four Musketeers, we actually came up with a uh, rap. Uh, you want to hear it? Okay, here it goes. United we stand, divided we fall. We're tighter than pantyhoses, two sizes too small. There's Mitch and Matt, Primo and Bunch. And if you mess with us, we'll steal your lunch. Now, I want you to know, we never stole anyone's lunch. But we thought that gave us some street cred, you know, if we act like we actually stole something. We were gangster before gangster came, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> if you leave today and you go out to eat, just say, no, he didn't rap again, did he? You know, no. Well, on this night, uh, Matt and Mitch, uh, their parents left, and we spent the whole night playing Monopoly. And about 12 o'clock, it was like God gave me this idea. We need to go get some Mountain Dew and pizza. And uh, all, all my other uh, crew there that was with me, uh, I, t I told them about this great idea. And Chris and Primo, uh, or Matt and Primo, uh, said, yeah, we're ready to do it. 
Now, Mitch was older than us, and he was that one kid in the group, you know, that was always careful and wanted to make sure that we didn't get into trouble. But somehow he caved in. He's like, yeah, let's go do it. And so we go downstairs, and another uh, kind of God thing just kind of hit me, you know, that uh, we should drive their parents' car that uh, was in, you know, the driveway. Now, Matt and Chris and I were 14, but Mitch was 15, and he had just got his learner's permit. And we thought, man, this will be great. This will be a good educational experience for you, you know. You haven't driven that much by yourself, and if you drive with us, it will make you much better. And so Mitch was like, uh, you know, the careful, kind of by-the-book kind of thing. He's like, what if we get caught? And those of you that don't know, my dad is a pastor. And immediately, uh, Matt and Chris go, man, bunches, dad's a pastor. You know, it's like God will be with us, you know, like the force is with us. And again, you know, it was was like, you know, Mitch was like, yeah, I, I believe that. But he said, what if mom and dad find out that we took the car? And Chris, who is now a computer programmer, uh, figured out exactly how to line up the, the tires of where they were at and figured all this stuff out with bricks and everything. And then he actually knew that this car was so old that if you went backwards, it actually put the odometer back. And so they're like, you know, we tell Mitch, Mitch, what? we'll drive there, then we'll get to a country road and we'll just drive back, you know, and uh, they'll never know. And Mitch to our uh, amazement, surprisingly kind of agreed to this. So we're off to Handy Andy. And Mitch drove really well on the way there. He didn't hit anything. And uh, we thought this was great. And then we pulled up, and there was a sheriff's car that was outside the Handy Andy. Now, Mitch, again, is real careful, but he's not very bright. And he pulls up right next to the sheriff's car. Chris and Primo call out, We're dead! We're so dead! And I'm thinking, I'm not freaking out at this point. I'm like, just give me a minute, you know? And I thought, just act like you're 16 when we walk in here, you know? Just act like you are, even though we're 14. And we walk into the store, and I'll never forget this. Mitch, again, not the brightest kid in the world, walks in, the sheriff's on the other side, and he goes, like that! He waves to the sheriff, you know? I'm thinking, what are you thinking? We walked in the store, he saw the sheriff, and I thought, what an idiot. But the sheriff kind of waved back at us, and we got in the car, and we took off back to the house, and then we drove backwards down county roads until we got next uh, to their house. Then when we got out of the car, we went around the back, and we noticed something that we didn't think about before we left. There was not a license plate on the car. And yet, God was on our side, you know? Now, Mitch and Matt's parents to this day do not know that this happened. And if you tell, we will steal your lunch, okay? Now, I just share that story with you to think about how stupid and dumb and dangerous that was of us because we were teenagers. And if you ask me to this day, why? 
I don't have a good answer. We just did it. I have a friend that says this. Why is it that the stupid things that I do seem so smart when I'm doing them? Let me say that again. Why are the stupid things that I do seem so smart when I'm doing them? And folks, that's the reality of many adolescents. And everyone here, if we took a mic around, you could tell different dumb teenage stories. In fact, if you want to share some with me, uh, you can do it anonymously if you want. But send me emails this week. Uh, It might be good for a future teaching. Well, you know, there's a lot going on in the life of an adolescent during this time. There are tons of changes that are going on in their life. There are dramatic physical changes that take place. They grow a foot in one year. Overnight, a little girl becomes a woman. And there are hormones that are just bouncing all over the walls. And kids are asking the question, what is going on with my body? Then there are intellectual challenges and changes that happen. They begin to start thinking more complex. And, you know, the little kid that used to be able to say, whatever you say, Mom, whatever you say, Dad, now they question everything. They have their own new ideas, and they are challenging things, and they try to put all of this on the good old Mom and Dad. There are also social changes. You hit adolescence, and all of a sudden... You spend less time with your parents, and you spend more time with your friends. They never tell their parents that they've been cut, or they've been put on waivers, or they've been placed into the pasture, but pretty soon they just don't hang out with them. And all they are doing is listening to their friends. They replace 40 years of combined parental wisdom with the knowledge of a 15-year-old brilliant star named Eddie down the street. Well, Eddie says this, and Eddie says that, and Eddie says the other thing, and you're thinking to yourself, when did Eddie get so smart, you know? But it happens. And then there are spiritual things that teenagers are wondering. Is my parents' faith going to be my faith? What do they believe? Do I believe what they believe? What part of their faith will I disregard? What part of their faith will I actually take on? I was 18 years old, and I was a freshman in college. And at the college that I went to, uh, you actually, uh, they had a January intensive term. In other words, you went for a semester, and then you had one class that you took in January. You could take it on campus, which was a killer because you did one class in just a short period of time, or you could travel abroad. Well, I had worked that summer mowing yards and painting, so I had a nest egg, and I was like, man, I want to go abroad. My parents like they, were, they said that would be a good idea. And so um, I went to Africa, West Africa, and studied African history. And we went to Senegal, the Gambia, and Guinea-Bissau, which is on the western coast of Africa. And while I was there, I was introduced to the Muslim faith. And it was so amazing to see them five times a day go out and pray. And I actually even bought a Koran. And uh, I decided that I would read it. It was kind of translated for you. And I came back home from this experience and I thought, man, I have finally been enlightened. And I'll never forget my dad again, who's been a pastor for 40 years, 
given his whole life to Christ, is sitting at the table one day. I pull up the Koran. I sit down. I go, Dad, I think I've found our answer. He's like, what is it? I said, the Koran right here. God's Word. It's like the Bible, but it's a little bit better. (laughs) He looked at me, and he said, well... If the Koran and the Muslim faith is so good, then move to Africa, son. Actually, he didn't say that. He just kind of looked at me and said, that's interesting. And I was asking him about it this week. He said, yeah, in my mind I was thinking, this boy doesn't have a clue, but I love him anyway. Folks, there are so many changes that are going on in an adolescence. Physical changes, intellectual, social, spiritual during this time. And when all these changes are going on all at once, it becomes a very messy process. So for the rest of our time, what I'd like to do is just give you some practical abilities, some skills for you to apply, whether you're in the teenage years right now, or save this program for some time when you will need it going forward. Now, let me begin by saying this. I have never been a parent of a teenager. I'm not an expert on it whatsoever. This is the expertise that I come with these points. First of all, I was a teenager, and I saw how my parents did it, both good and bad. And secondly, I've done a lot of research this week trying to figure out how do we help our kids during this stage of life. So let me share with you real quick five practical things. The first one is this, why it becomes so difficult for teenagers to go through this time and how parents can help them. The first one is listen intently. Listen intently to your kids. Now many of you who've had teenagers or have them now, you're yawning. Yeah, right. You know, listen intently. But the truth is, folks, almost every single survey that I looked at this week shows again and again the importance of parents listening. When the surveys are asked to teenagers, what is the one thing that frustrates you the most, which angers you the most, which alienates you the most from your parents, the thing that they say is, they just don't listen to me. I try to talk to them, but they don't listen. They don't want to understand me. And we wind up in a fight every single time, and so finally I've given up on asking questions. I just let it go. Now, folks, I want you to know that one of the elephants in the room for parents is this. You just don't listen to your kids enough. You're just not listening to them. And you can understand in adolescence that this is a hard time to listen to. Because the whole period of this time is what I call trial and error. They are trying and they are erring in many ways. And it's a messy time. And many times their speech and their attitude and the ways that they express themselves is polar opposite of what they actually, what the parents actually think. For instance, a kid comes up uh, to you and they go, Dad! I think we should legalize drugs. And you're like, what? Did you just come off the cruise line of idiot? Because what you are is idiotic right now. 
And when that happens, the kid shuts down and they're done. They don't want to engage anymore. Hey, Mom, my friends and I were thinking about piercing every appendage and opening in our body. What do you think about that? Great conversational starter, isn't it? Huh? So how do you react to statements and thoughts and things like these? Well, first of all, folks, if there's any stage of parenting where you have to suck it up and have control, it's when they're teenagers. And there is a phrase that I want to encourage all parents here to put in their head and to be using during this stage or when you approach this stage. Jennifer and I have already memorized it ourselves, and it's this phrase. Help me to understand. Help me to understand. Son, could you help me to understand why you think it's really a great idea to legalize drugs? You know, Susie, help me to understand why you think it's a good idea to pierce every appendage and opening of your body. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says this. A person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but someone with insight can draw them out. When your kid's a teenager, that's what your role is. How do you help draw out exactly what they're thinking and feeling? I can remember my uh, senior year in high school. I was playing on the basketball team. Actually, I was sitting the bench on the basketball team. And I came home after the last game before Christmas break, and my uh, dad was there, and I had not played for like the last four games, zero minutes. And I walked in, and I said, I'm quitting basketball. Now, my dad could have yelled, he could have went off, he could have done many things, but he just asked this question, I'll never forget, why do you want to quit? Help me to understand. And so I went on to tell him that basketball just wasn't fun anymore. I practiced as hard, if not harder, than all the other guys. I was better than a couple of them in front of me, and yet the coach wasn't playing me. So I was going to quit. And my dad didn't try to convince me not to quit. He didn't go off on me. He just listened. And he said, well, why don't you go and talk to your coach? You and him, just man to man, talk to him. And then after that, if you want to quit, that's fine. He didn't go to the coach and try to defend me like many parents do where they want their kid to get a little bit more playing time so they kind of rip on the coach a little bit. He didn't go off on me. He didn't try to do anything except he said, you go talk to the coach first. And I went to the coach and I talked to him and he said, well, when Christmas break comes, uh, everything's going to be a clean slate. I know you've been practicing hard and we're going to give more playing time to those who work harder in practice. And I did, and I played quite a bit the second half of the year. Now, the whole point of this, folks, is not about basketball. It's not about getting extra playing time, but it's about this. My dad turned to me in a moment as a teenager, and he said, help me to understand. You know what would have crushed me? You know what would have made me choose to quit right then and probably walk away from my dad and any parental kind of guidance he gave? was if he would have said, What? You're going to quit? There's no quitters in this house. You better suck it up, boy. You better pull your bootstraps up and deal with it. And you know what? If you have to sit the bench for the rest of the year, you just deal with it. If he would have done that, it would have been over. Parents, the magic phrase is, Help me understand. 
Help me understand. Let the kid talk to you. Here's the second thing. Spend time strategically. Spend time strategically with your kids. When kids are in high school, it's almost like they vaporize, isn't it? I mean, you've seen this child and you've hung out with them forever, and then they hit high school and they just walk away and they turn to their friends. They're either with their friends, they're either getting ready to go be with their friends, or they are recovering from being with their friends. Now, developmentally, it's very important during this time for teenagers to hang out with their friends. And as uh, time increases with their friends, guess what time does with their parents? It decreases. So what you got to do as parents is you have to figure out ways to engage them to want to be a part of the family. you got to think of creative ways, active ways that make them want to be a part of it. And let me just tell you what won't work. Hey kids, mom and I are going to have kind of a little family gathering in the family room Friday night. We know you got a game and other things going on, but you know, just hang out with the folksters on Friday and we're going to have like a family meeting. You know what they're going to say to that? Out of here, anything to get out of here, you know? Teenagers will not deal with that. The Bible says this, teach us to use wisely all the time that we have. Parents, when kids are teenagers, you have to be wise at the amount of time that you spend with them because their time is limited. What you have to do at this age is be creative enough that whatever you plan is an activity or an event that the kids are going to be like, man, I would never miss that. I want to be a part of that. That is going to be fun. In a way, you have to compete with your friends, with their friends, so that we can keep this family thing intact. Because if we're communicating when we're having fun and activities, when things aren't going so well, the communication works so much better. Now, I grew up in the type of family where we had family meetings. My dad would just have it with all of us at one point and said, we're go- I tell you what we need to do, we need to get the family together. And we'd all sit there and we'd just look at each other. And there were thoughts going through our minds that were not good or building up, you know. But we just sat there. And so Jennifer and I, I was telling her about this, and over the last couple of months, we have decided to do something fun with our two-year-old and our six-month-old. Jordan has become a lover of bowling. She drives down and she sees Clancy's bowling alley that has the big pin, and she goes, bowling, Daddy? Family night. And every couple of weeks, we go and we bowl. Now, let me let you know a couple things about bowling. Number one, I am horrible at bowling. It's the one sport that God just, I don't know, He humbles me greatly in that. Secondly, Jennifer hates bowling. She doesn't like bowling whatsoever. But every couple of weeks, we go, Jordan gets the big ramp, and she rolls her ball down, and then I get my ball, and I put it on the ramp, and I roll it down, you know, and she beats me. And, uh, but we do it because it's something Jordan likes. Now, we're going to continue to do this until bowling probably isn't the thing. Now, I know if you have teenagers... They might be like, bowling? We don't want to do bowling. 
But I know some parents who come here to the jar, and what they do is they do camping. And they do camping better than anybody I know. They even bought like this, uh, I don't know, some big, you know, camper deal. I don't know, I don't know anything about camping. But anyways, they, they have this, and they make it so fun that the kids want to go. They want to bring their uh, family and friends, and, you know, everyone comes. Now, camping might not be for you. It might be fishing, some kind of sport, whatever it is so that your kids like to do. Do it with them. And don't be like, I don't want to do it. Well, get over it. Your day's over, you know. Hang out with them regularly. And I think the elephant in the room is that some parents have just tried, have, have stopped being creative. They've stopped trying to create activities that engage with their kids. And what's so cool, when you do this, then when our conversations become harder, there's already an opening. Here's the third thing. Choose your battlegrounds carefully. Choose your battlegrounds carefully. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this, And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. You know, you should do whatever you can do, whatever it takes to keep your kids from being angry and resentful. And you don't need to nag at them about everything. In fact, family systems experts say that the reason why many kids rebel and they never kind of get re-engaged back into the family life is because of high-controlling parents. Rigid parents that smother their kids with rules and they don't allow their kids to make mistakes or have failures. Now let me say this. When your kids are small and little, like mine are, they need to have direct control. You need to be a high-controlling parent. Jordan, don't touch the stove. Shiloh, don't ride your bike in the street. Chris, don't put the, you know guinea pig in the microwave or, you know, whatever. You have to be rigid, though, and direct with the kids. They need rules. They function best when there are rules and boundaries. But when your kids get older, they become teenagers, you have to change your parenting style. Instead of being rigid, you have to be more of a coach or a mentor. You have to counsel them. You have to kind of give them consequences for what their actions are. Jordan, this is a consequence to this action. You'll have to make your own choice. Folks, the older your kids get, you have to loosen the reins. And if you've been really, really good at the other stages, it will work. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean that you kind of go sayonara to your 16-year-old. Now you live your life. But you have to choose your battlegrounds carefully. For instance, a teenager's hairstyle or hair color or hair length drove my dad crazy. I've already decided. They want to do something with their hair differently. You know, I don't care if it glows in the dark. Um, If they want to do that when they're a teenager, fine. Or whether they wear a certain type of dress or whether they pierce their ears or maybe in our generation, even if they choose to get a tattoo, is that a battleground thing that you're going to fight? This is what I was thinking this week. That if the issue is lying, if the issue is doing something unsafe, 
If it's a character issue or a spiritual issue, I'll go to the mat with my girls on those two things. And for them especially, if it's wearing clothes that show as much skin as a negligee model, I'll go to the mat on that. But friends, choose your battlegrounds carefully. Let your kids breathe and then give them consequences and let them make the choices. Here's the fourth thing you can do to help them out during this difficult time. Affirm signs of maturity. Affirm signs of maturity. The Bible says this, encourage one another and build each other up. This is not just parents of teenagers, but especially for them, but anyone who has kids. Find something that your kid is doing right and then just pour on the affirmation and the encouragement. I remember spring break of my senior year in high school. Some buddies of mine wanted me to go with them to Florida. It was one of those moments when I uh, was thinking, man, we're going to go party. We're going to hang out with some girls. But I had really gotten close to God uh, after uh, January and was really connecting and an opportunity came up for me to go to New York City and Washington, D.C. And there were still going to be girls there. Okay? But we were going to go reach out to the homeless in those two communities. And I just decided that was more important to my time. And so I did that instead of going to Florida. And I'll never forget when I told my dad that. He just started tearing up, you know. Oh, Chris, I'm so proud of you, you know. And he really was. And he said, you could have went and partied with your friends in Florida, and you chose to do this. I'm so proud. Now, in the teenage years, you've got to draw lines, and you've got to have hard discussions with kids. But this is the best time that if you find them doing something right, whatever it is, to encourage them. Hey, you brought the car back and you didn't wreck it? Good job! Way to go! You know? You were, real, you were a real good friend uh, to that person. You didn't gossip about them like all your other friends were doing. I'm really proud of you. You just pour on the affirmation. And let me say this. If you have girls who are teenagers and you're a father, more than any other time in their life, what they need to hear you say is, you're beautiful. You look beautiful. And your mind's beautiful. And they'll probably go, Dad, no, I don't. I got this zit here. I don't care. I love your zit. You know what I mean? I'm waiting for that day to look at Jordan and say, I love your zit. And she'll probably go, Dad, you're an idiot. You know, or I don't know. But they need it during that time. Here's the last thing. Pray fervently. Pray fervently. Pray fervently for teenagers because this is the toughest time of life. You know what? One of the biggest elephants in the room is, not just for parents of teenagers, but all parents, is that we don't pray for our kids enough. Life gets full, the pace gets set, and we lose heart. But if there is ever a time when you can pray for your kids, and if you have grandkids that are teenagers, this is the time to pray. Pray for their safety. Pray that God would open their heart up to listen to what He wants them to do with their life. The Bible says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask God. Just ask on God, on your kid's behalf to God. And then watch how he works in your kid's life. Well, there's one more thing I love about teenagers, 
and it's this. I love their energy. They are just energetic. And if you get them passionate and you get them focused on whatever it is, they will go through a wall to do that. And one of the things that I love to see is our kids here at the jar, when they become passionate and energetic about some way to serve, they just do it. Now today we have our ministry and mission fair. And this is your time to go back to adolescence, okay? No smoking in the hallway or anything like that, but, you know, this is your time to go back to adolescence. And to have passion and energy for some of the areas that you look and you see on the different signs. Today's the time when we really want there to be energy and passion for people to step up and say, I'm willing to serve in this area. And I'd encourage you to go around. We give you, we're going to give you extra time to do that. The Colts don't come on till 1. Okay? So you do not need to leave quickly. And I just want you guys to know as your pastor, as someone who loves you, that you are not here by accident. God has brought each and every single one of you here for a reason. And one of those reasons is not just to soak in everything that happens, but to serve other folks. And so I'd encourage you, go around, find at least one thing that you can kind of plug into and say, you know what, I'm going to do that. And most of our serving opportunities are once a month or once every six weeks. And you just say, you know what, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to get plugged in today. Maybe some of you would want to do more than that. But these are the ways that you can help us out. So take your teenage adolescent years and put all the good stuff in and find energy to connect in one of these ways. Let's stand for closing prayer. Loving God, we thank you so much that you have chosen us and called us by name. Even before we were born, God, you were thinking of us. And we thank you for that. You chose to love us and accept us as is. And we are so grateful. God, we especially pray today for our kids who are teenagers. And God, we know it's a tough time and it's a tough time to parent too. And so we pray for those kids and for the parents of those kids, maybe grandparents, that you would give them wisdom and insight on knowing how to make this difficult period of life um, the smoothest it can be. And for those of us who don't have kids that age, that we would remember some of the teachings from this and already apply it uh, to our kids. Heavenly Father, we also thank you this morning for, for this place called The Jar. It is not by accident that you have put this group of people together. And we know that you have great things for us to do. And thank you for the blessings that you give to us each and every week. Whether it's music or teaching or someone serving us, a small group, children's ministry. uh, Some way, God, that we can reach out and help. And God, would you just help us as a church to become the healthiest church that we can be to help people grow. And right now, God, I ask that you'd be with each person who's here, that they would take some time right now. We've kind of given some extra time for them to look around and maybe plug into a ministry here and uh, commit to serve you in this church. Thanks for always loving us. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Have a great week and uh, know that you're loved in this place. Thanks.